Welcome to Bugs and Beards, the podcast home for everything fly fishing and fly tying. Kick back as we sit down and talk with some of your favorite fly tires and fishermen while we discuss with them the tips and techniques they've learned on the river and behind the vice so that you can use those lessons learned to make your time more effective. All right, hey everybody and welcome to the Bugs and Beard podcast. Today we got another great guest on for us th- this week. We have Evan Brandt from Sidling Hill Hackle. Um, we're excited to get into some things with hackle genetics and chicken raising and just a lot of the fly tying issues that... Um, you know, dry fly hackle, wet fly hackle, we're going to describe the difference. Just anything you want to know about hackle. That's what this show is going to be about. We're excited to have Evan with us. Uh, let's try something different this week, guys. Let's try a quick Q&A, like an icebreaker. Um, let's just shoot questions at Evan, get him warmed up here, let him get a feel for what we're doing, and uh, any off-the-wall question we have for him. You ready for this, Evan? Sounds good. Okay. Um, I'll go first here. Let's go with a uh, bucket list place to go fishing. Patagonia. Patagonia? That yeah. sounds good. I like big browns. And I cannot lie. Yeah. Pat, what's yours? Oh, man. I haven't really thought about one yet, so go ahead, Nick. Who's your favorite person here? <laughs> Myself. Uh. Uh. <laughs> Sorry. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> All right, if you were a superhero, which superpower would you m- most not want to have? That was that was structured in a strange way, but I, I understood it. Yeah. That is an off-the-wall question. Which superpower would I not want to have? Laser eyes. I'd burn everything down. Laser eyes? That's, that's very close to mine. Mine is dotted line vision. <laughs> I don't want dotted line vision because then my wife would know where I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep this show PG-13. Oh. <laughs> All right. You got one yet, Pat? No, kind of just lost <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Anyways, we're ready to get on to hackle raising. Yeah, let's uh, do it. Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Evan. Um, I'm born and raised in South Central PA. Uh, attended Penn State right out of high school for a couple of years. I took a two-year ag business degree, graduated in 2011 in the spring uh we have a dairy farm that's what we do full-time the hack was just on the side uh basically i do nothing but work i fish once in a while i play with play with birds a lot uh i have three kids and a wife and that's about it Hmm. pretty boring how big is your farm how many head of cow do you have now we milk about 80 Crop about 350 acres. Wow, that's nice. So, How long has that been in the family? Uh, 1870s, as far as we've been able to tell. Wow. So maybe longer? I'm guessing probably maybe a little bit, but... 1870s at the same location? Yes, same location. Started out with my grandfather's mother's family, and then his father bought it in the 1920s, I believe, mm-hmm. and then... My grandfather bought it from his brothers and sister, and then it's been passed from him to my dad, and now we're working from my dad to me. That's cool. That's a dying thing in our society anymore, the family farmer. Mm-hmm. Well, even dairy farming is not what it was 10 years ago. It's go big or go home world. It's it's definitely took a hit. Yep. 
But uh, what questions you guys got for him? Uh, I mean, how did you get into Hackle Ranch? <coughs> um, basically, while I was at Penn State, I was in the fly fishing club. Uh, I had fly fished since I was about 15, tied fly since I was about 15. So I've been doing it for a while, and I started seeing these capes and saddles. And I'd never really had my hands on good ones before the fly fishing club. The fly fishing club had a good bit there. And uh, basically, I was just trying to think of how I could bring fly fishing into my everyday life, if it was possible, with a dairy farm. Uh, at that point, I knew I was going back to milk cows and work with my dad. And I just started trying to look for genetic hackle chickens, and that's how it got started. And started out with a dozen eggs. Six years down the road, we're at 800 birds. Wow, 800. So. It's quite a lot. For that quick a time, yeah. Where did you get your eggs? Uh, the first group of eggs I got was from a guy named Dustin Pond. He was from Idaho. Uh, he had sourced eggs from a couple of different places. Alvin Theralt from Maine was one. Uh, I forget where else. That was where I first got. And then I got to working with a guy from Nevada. Kevin Kirkelly was his name. He had some really nice browns, some really nice barred gingers. Uh, this was like two years into it. I shipped Kevin four birds live to Nevada. Uh, it was like $200 to ship them. Oh, my goodness. And overnight them. Hmm. And then uh, in return, he sent me... I think 60 or 70 eggs. And that's basically how I got my browns and the barred gingers that I have now. It's, I wonder if that's the furthest chickens ever flown. That's a pretty long flight. <laughs> They're a pretty short flight usually. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So, it, like, when you said it was $200 to ship it, it, it worked out for you? Yeah, yeah. They all, they all made it the next day alive. Everything was good. Um, and then I think three or four, Two or three years after I got eggs from Kevin, my friend Anthony introduced me to Jan Pickle, which owned the Bob's Hackle Flock, and he kind of became my mentor and got me birds, basically got me every color that I was missing. He had, I think, 17 or 18 different colors is what he advertised. Uh, that's how I got the Darby birds that I have and the, the better dry fly quality, so... Let's get into a little bit of that um, genetic hackle versus the chicken you're going to see at the sale barn. Okay. Uh, genetic hackle's been bred, I forget whenever Darby started. He was, I think, the first on the East Coast. Uh, probably Henry Hoffman was the first on the West Coast. Darby started, I think, in the 30s, somewhere around there, just in trying to get better quality material they was getting everything imported from china they wasn't happy with what they were getting so basically he went and bought blue andalusians and started breeding them specifically for hackle for that better feather that would turn was more web free right. because regular birds you're looking at the top maybe quarter of an inch of the feather is web free right. that it can be tied with for right. dry fly quality what do you mean by web free in the center at the, the stem, there's web that comes off uh, on each barbule. Imagine, imagine your hand, um, 
the web would be your palm of your hand, and, and the finger part is the part that you want to tie your dry flies with. Mm -hmm. So you're looking from the shaft. You want just the finger part sticking off the shaft. You don't want the palm part of your hand. Yep. And that's like every chicken, like every other chicken that's not. Yeah. Yeah. Most, like if you was to go to the sale barn and gra just grab a chicken out of the pen and take it home and use it for fly tying, you're only really going to be able to tie wet flies out of it. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yep. The the genetic craze was built, or well not craze, but the genetics were built to get the webbing out of it to make the hackle longer, longer and longer, stiffer. stiffer. Yeah, and and then they got into making longer feathers and mm -hmm. to have you know to get longer saddles to get more feathers out of one fly. So there's been a ton of all natural genetics, not tweaking with. DNA and that kind of stuff, but it's all in breed selection. Yep. They do that? They modify them at all? Like I'm not sure. I've never looked into what some of the competitors do. I'm sure the largest one probably has, has. definitely really yeah. looked into every avenue that he possibly can. No, I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Huh. So. That's interesting. I so. doubt it's GMO free. <laughs> <clears throat> no, there's no meat on hacklebirds anyhow. Because yeah, of being mod or not modified, but how their genetics are. Just yeah, not hardly. Hmm. Now, do you raise any specific breeds? Or is yours just run-of-the-mill chickens? Just run-of-the-mill chickens. Basically, everything's bred for color uh, off of quality. Okay, you don't raise like Brahma hens. No. Okay. No, nope, nothing like that. I mean, maybe as time goes on, start looking into something like that yeah. to expand. But as of right now, no. Okay. They're uh, great birds. I look. That's probably my favorite soft tackle to mm -hmm. use is Brahma. But I've had Brahma. I've raised Brahma hens myself, and they're a very slow-growing bird. Okay. But they're um, small anyway, aren't they? No, they're they're huge. Really. Yes, they're they're large for chickens, but they take a long time to to mature. It's all like the the like the capes we had over there are pretty pretty small. Oh, that's just the cape with a small piece yeah, of saddle hackle. Small, or, yeah, but it's actually a pretty good sized bird. Yeah, it's actually a pretty big pretty big bird comparatively. Um, I mean, it's all like where did they start? Like not genetic wise, but like. Before they started breeding them, for that, like, what did they do? Just tie with the just the tip of it, like tie dry. Tip yeah, of it? basically. I mean, the dry flies started in the Catskills, so that's where Darby was getting his. Actually, I think Theodore Gordon was the first to really look into tying dry flies that floated. Uh, everything else before that was pretty much wet flies, streamers. Hmm. Um, but. Yeah, because you couldn't get hackle to float it. Not really. Unless you're going to use deer. Yeah. So. What about raising deer? Think of that. That's no, too too big. That's big. That's big, a lot of area and a lot of money. Yeah. It might escape. I don't. I don't think it'd work too good. I don't, I don't think the USDA would like that either. Yeah. Yeah. USDA don't give you any problems with uh, chickens. I'm sure our milk inspector would have some. Issues with that. I know I'm not allowed to have chickens anywhere near the barn. The and there's just like, there's a cow, there's a cow, there's a deer just hooked up to the machine. <laughs> deer milk. You can milk a cat, right? I can drink it. I drink it. Yeah, I'm sure. 
They milk almonds, so yeah, that's true. Why not? Almonds. So with your hackle, how long do you have to raise the hackle to get it to a good, a, a harvesting age? Usually, it's anywhere from seven to nine months on average. Some birds are faster, some birds are slower. It just depends on how quicker they are. Uh, my duns are honestly one of the slowest birds that I have, hmm. which I hate, but it's just how it works. Uh, right now, I've got a lot of birds that are ready to kill, and my duns are almost all still pinned out that they're not ready to kill yet. Now, how how do you, do you separate your roosters? Or no, everything is all together. All together. Yeah. How long will those duns? Do you think it'll be until you harvest? Uh, it'll probably be another month and a half. Month, month and a half. It'll be about February sometime. They're usually the last ones I'm rushing to get ready for Lancaster. About a year old, yeah, about about a year old. So they'll be a year old. These ones were hatched, uh, March, April. So it's just getting real close to it. So honestly, if you keep the hens out of the roosters, they don't really fight. Right. It's like they just they don't know what that is. They don't really worry about it. They don't get to that age to yeah care about it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I'm killing right at sexual maturity. Right. Just because anything past that is throwing money down the drain. Mean. Yeah. Oh, that too. Nasty. Yeah. So. So you keep the the hens <laughs> elsewhere. Yes, right? hens are separated from roosters because they'll like they ride them and everything, trying to breed them, right. and it'll mess up hen saddles and stuff. So. But you do breed them though. You just select like you don't. Yeah. Yep. I go through, pick hens out, pick roosters out, pair them off. So usually, takes a while. yeah, it's it's a process. Everybody looks at hackle like, oh, I could raise chickens, and it's that's part of it, raising chickens. But it's the part that you don't really think about that yeah, really. is so time consuming. Yeah, because you'd have to do each one. You couldn't just like throw a bunch in the room. Well, you do. Like I'll put usually twelve rooster, twelve hens on a rooster. And give him two or three days, and then I'll start collecting eggs. A good rooster, he'll hit twelve hens in two or three hours oh if they're if they're ripe and ready. What a lucky guy! Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. So the breeders are the uh, they're the really lucky ones because if they don't breed, they get the axe. Interesting. So. The oldest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you keep. So you said the the seven or eight months, um, and, and you harvest most of them and then you have your duns which last a little longer and then do you just keep specific ones to breed yeah okay yep i've had i think the oldest bird i have right now is five five years old really is a grizzly uh i call him grandpa he's a good looking bird <laughs> yeah he's he's basically the foundation of my grizzly flock from the bob's hackle side uh, cool. he's not a saddle bird he's all neck he hardly has any saddles but I've crossed him with the birds that I got from Nevada and Idaho and gotten some saddles come off of his progeny. So, hmm. How long will they live? Like, So you said he's five. I don't, honestly, I have no idea. Maybe like eight, nine years, I'm guessing. It's hard to tell. I have no idea. I've never really looked into how long a chicken can live. Yeah. So. Part of the family. Bring him in the house. Yeah, no. No, that's okay. <laughs> the dogs are probably tearing to pieces. That's funny. Bring him in, set him up at the table. 
Is that the one you had at the show? No, that bird's that bird's hanging in my living room actually. Oh, nice. Yep. Put him in a shadow box. So. So, what do you think? Uh, I mean, you're a man of of humbleness, as I know you. Um, but what do you think separates you from other hackle ranchers of your size or even even bigger? Uh, honestly. I don't claim to be anybody else. I don't claim to have birds as good as this person or that person or better than this person or that person. Uh, probably price would be the separating factor because of the dairy farm. You know, we grow corn, we grow soybeans. When we harvest, I take some and put it aside separately, send it to the mill, and then they grind my chicken feed out of it. Use my own corn, my own soybeans. So whereas regular 18% grower for the roosters would run $400 a ton. I'm running about 120 oh, okay. mm. So I can keep my prices cut down that way. Right. I don't make as much money doing it that way, but at the same time, I don't really feel like that $100 neck or... Right. I, I really don't... I, no, I don't think it's worth that. I mean, there's some things. I've had a few Cree saddles that went pretty high, but... It's that one in a thousand bird, you know. Right. And you grain them yourself. Yep. I do all the work myself. So you said Cree. What distinguishes a Cree from a dark bar ginger? That's a very opinionated question. I, uh, I had every, to ask it because at, I have them hanging on the wall and right behind you, and one, they'll look the exact same, but one will say Cree on the back of the pack, and one will say dark bar ginger. Honestly, everybody has their own opinion on that. I'll say what I think, and it'll be wrong to somebody else, and yeah. it'll be right to somebody else. But basically what I've always been taught was a Cree was a grizzly with ginger and tan and cream in, whereas a dark bar ginger was a bar ginger with some black in. Okay. So... It, you're adding a white into it or a cream color into it over just the the ginger color with the black. Yes, yes. basically. I mean, it's like I said, it's it's all an opinion. Some people would call them crease. Some people right. call them bar gingers. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing because we've been around this now here at the shop here selling hackles and seeing how many comes through. Now we're getting a lot more crees coming through that are being called crees that looked a lot like ginger yeah. before, and so you know it's it, nature of the business. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Well, there's been issues with the industry and just how how things have gone with the, how things have been sold and different issues with you know with the fashion industry and different things like that that have kind of just messed the industry up a lot and now yeah. i think there's just a backlog that needs to get taken care of and things like mm -hmm. that so. honestly i think it probably has a lot to do with who's grading it also that's a lot of it too or I yeah, mean, I'll, I'll i'll go with that evan how long have you been doing this i uh, started in 2012 uh, that's when i got my first eggs i had eight chickens that year two two hens and six roosters that was out of a dozen eggs, and then the next year I think I hatched 40 or 50, and then built from there I think there's 200 after that, and then a couple years, it was like two years at 200, and then jumped to five and now eight. 
So what's the point you're looking for? Is there like a number you want to get to? Honestly, I, I have no idea. It just depends on where the dairy industry goes. I mean, if the dairy industry completely folds up for us, yeah. which I hope not with, I have three sons and I'd really like to see that be able to continue for them because right. they, they love it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's 24 seven. Yeah. You got to go. You said I, I can go after five, but I have to be back at the barn at 10. Yeah. I got to milk tonight at 10. So. I milk the two and ten. Dad milks at six in the morning. So that's right now. We'll quit that in the spring. We just did that this year to try to make some more milk. So. More milk, more money. But basically, I'd like to get to 1,500 birds. That's what I'm hoping to shoot for in 2019. That's what I hope to hatch out of 2019. Uh yeah, it is. It is. How much room does it take to have to have that many? A good bit. It's not as much as what you might think. It's not like if if they were all individually caged, it'd take a pile. Right. But housing them together definitely helps. So you can cut now, back on. Are space. you housing inside or outside? Or? They're outside, but they're inside. Okay. They're basically in a pen with. If they can get out of the weather, out of the elements, but they're right. also exposed to the outside conditions. That was Darby's whole idea. Uh, it made a tougher bird, made a stronger bird. Yeah, I could get that. Yeah. Jan always told me that your flock's only as good as your weakest bird. Right. So he said, any bird that looks weak, call oh. right there. He said, it doesn't matter if it's ready or not. He said, if it's not good, get rid of it. Hmm. So... I remember you telling me one time, I asked you a question about chickens. I was like, what What do they do in the winter? They're like, they just chill. Like, they hang out. They're good. I've always heard they're good to like negative 30. I don't know how, luckily we don't have to deal with that. But um, the Catskill winters, I mean, that's right. Could be, yeah. That's definitely a lot colder up there than what it is here. Yeah. I know. They just hang out. Like right now, they're just chilling. Yeah. They're still going. Yep. Around. They, they definitely pick up on feed consumption. In the early part of winter, picking up bugs and stuff. Yeah, so so how does how does the molt affect the chickens? Like, how many times will they molt before you harvest them? I think it's like two or three. I'm not. I've never really paid that much attention to it. Yeah. Uh, it's not like the the major molt after a year old. Like I hatch in the spring, and every year in August, like after a year old. Once they hit that August, for whatever reason it is, it is the last full moon in the month of August. Like, I mean, you can set your watch to it. <laughs> they will drop their feathers. Hmm. It's just, like, gone. And they're ugly as can be. There's nothing there. The feathers, are the feathers that are growing back are soft at that point, softer at that right. point. And so, basically, the time frame that I have to kill by is I like try to have everything done by August. I really like to have everything done by spring, but right. sometimes it's kind of nice to have that extra punch of birds come through in the later summer. Because right. at that point in time, that's whenever the young birds are at their most vigorous stage where they're eating an insane amount of feed. It's crazy how much a little chicken can go through. It's a whole lot more than what you'd ever think. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with their feather growth? What's feather growth, just every, everything about their growing. They're just, they're, they grow so rapidly. I mean, you think about it, a, a human takes 18 years to maturity. A cow takes two years to maturity. A bird's mature in eight months, seven, eight months. So everything's just 
that's crazy. compressed that quick. But it's like every bird, though. I mean, that's like, I mean, you know, I've been watching the frozen planet at night sometimes, and there's penguins on there. They grow like, they're like six feet tall in like a year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, it's it's insane. Like meat chickens. Meat chickens, oh, meat yeah. chickens go from the size of a yeah. rubber duck to a basketball in like eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yep. It, it's insane. We've raised meat chickens before, and it's just, it's nuts. Yeah, they never stop eating. No, and you actually, like, one thing we've learned we've had to do with meat chickens was raise the feeders in the water so they exercise yep. their legs. Otherwise, they'll just go and lay by the feeder and lay by the water, and then basically they just go to the point to where they can't even pick themselves up. Yeah, the only thing that doesn't grow with a, with a meat bird is their brain. <laughs> That's serious. They're yeah. the dumbest birds. They're, they're, they're real dumb. Yep. They're ugly, too. Yeah. Taste good, but white, just, just, just white, plain chickens. Yep. So what's that roasting chicken that has the fat in the breast that you want to kind of keep lazy? It's a big bird. Yeah, I guess. I mean. I can't think of the name of that. A couple of the kids in the 4-H group had them. Uh, they get to the point, they get so heavy, their legs break. Yeah. Because that's all they do is just sit there and eat and eat and eat. They pack it on quick. It's a good life. Yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying it. It's failing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when your lifespan is a month. Yeah, two, two months. months. Yeah, yeah. Just that's what I would do. Yep. I have two months to live. I'm gonna eat everything. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Anything in sight? I would not stop whatsoever. That's crazy. What do you, with that many birds? Like, how many eggs do you have? Do you grow all the eggs, or do you sell the eggs? Or? No, there's, they're really. You can tell they've been bred for feathers and not egg production. Uh, once I start feeding layer, you'll start picking up some eggs, but they're not. For the most part, they're not an egg-a-day chicken. Hmm. They're, you know, they might lay one every two days or something like that. Now, good ones will lay every day, but not every right. single one. Right. Uh, and then basically once I'm done hatching, because they're small eggs anyhow. They're not okay. They're not your jumbo eggs, you know. Right. They're not specifically bred to be egg layers. They're like, you know, diet eggs Right. is what I like to diet call them. Eggs. But Quail eggs. Yeah, basically, they're, they're small. So when you're gathering these eggs and you're getting to the point to put them, you have an incubator? Yeah, I have a 300-egg incubator. Automatically turns? Yep, it's everything. Turns by itself. I have a water system that adds water every day that it needs. Uh, It's pretty exact. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Like, I think I got it three or four years ago. Uh, I'd like to get another one. Like the guy that raises for me, he has one also, so he can pump out the eggs too. Uh, There's nothing worse than when one of the eggs spoils in the incubator. Nah, it's pretty nasty. That yeah. is a science in itself. Cause they have to be the right humidity, have to be turned. Right temperature, right humidity. Yep. Yep. Turn three times a day, I think. Hmm. I know when I'm collecting, I have to turn them. I usually try to turn them at least two to three times a day. Wow. So. And then when you're collecting, you can... Hold them to get a group of them so you can put them all in the same yeah, time for, like, that, what, 10 days or something like that? I've, I've pushed it to 14. Usually after that, you start to see some fertility issues with okay. the first eggs. So I try to at least put in by 14, usually 12 if I can. It's just if I'm running short on eggs. I like to try to fill right. it. When I'm when I'm doing it, I want to have it full. Right. So And really it's made for – it has three trays and then a bottom hatching compartment. So basically it's a 21-day cycle. What they made it to do was each week you put in 
the first week you have it in the top. The second week you move it to the middle so you can put eggs in the top again. Right. So you can continually hatch. Well, I really don't want that. I want my birds already at one time. So right. I've kind of retrofitted the each turning tray to use as a hatcher whenever it comes time. And I'll mm. just, I'll fill the thing completely full. Hmm. And the chicks all look the same. Do they all look No, they're different colors. Are they? Yep. Grizzlies are black. Duns come out yellow, blue. So. So have you learned to sex them yet? No, that's one thing I really want to learn this year just so I can hatch more out and get rid of some hens. Right. Just because it's a lot of extra feed for, right. for not, a lot, of, not a lot of return. Right. So are you getting like 50-50 on them? Or? It's about 50-50. Right. Uh, Jan always heard him say that his were really more 60-40. Uh, I haven't really kept that much track to it, but apparently breeding them over the years for – more rooster production was something that Bob right. did, Jam. Let's get back into the genetics a little bit. We were talking here a little bit before the show on some of the different breeds and uh, how, and we'll get back into the molt a little bit too. Uh, we were talking about Coq d'Elion specifically and how the French raised the Coq d'Elion and they would actually pluck the feathers as compared to harvesting the bird. And you, you were saying about how they – prepared them and stuff by plucking them and keeping them sun free and yeah they rub them down with uh oak ash and olive oil is what i've read jan has a a giant book that's i think it's in french that is basically on how they raise hackle it, it yeah. was like a th i think he paid like 300 dollars for this book it's a <laughs> massive big book that you, you can't read but he's deciphered some of it enough to realize what they're doing and stuff yeah, that that's a neat bird there in itself, the Cockdelion, and the way the feathers are, and and just how we got a hold of it here, and yeah. found out about it. So there's a lot of cool things. I got you. Okay, what do you look for in one of your birds? Like, how are you grading? That's a good place to go there. What are you looking for when you're grading? How do you grade a hackle? Okay, well, it just depends on if it's dry fly quality or not. If it's streamer quality. It's based on just feather count alone for saddles. Okay. Uh, the, the streamer quality next they all are low grade, grade three or saltwater grade. A lot of those go to Florida. I have a okay. guy in Florida that buys a lot of them. Uh, dry fly necks based basically on how many flies they'll tie and how small they'll tie. So if it ties a bunch of flies, but it'll only tie to like a 22, that'd be like a grade two. But if it'll tie down to 24, 26, and it's got a bunch of feathers on it, it'll be a grade one. Uh, grade threes down to 20s, usually 18s to 20s. With your saddles, same thing, you're going by count and what size they are? Yeah, dry fly saddles is feather count, and there's really only five. Usually 12, 14, 16s on the saddles. One of the biggest questions I get is, do you have any saddles that tie like 18 to 24? No, that's my birds don't do that. Right. Once in a while, I'll get a feather that'll tie like a 24 on a saddle, but that's yeah, about saddle it. Saddle feathers, you're not getting. Even saddle feathers from other companies, you're still only looking 18s. Yeah. They're pretty much all yeah. the same. For your mid, for your midge grade. I'm and saying. honestly, one of the biggest markets I've found for saddles is the bigger dry fly stuff, like eights and tens. There's nobody can get them anymore uh, because so it's I been bred out yeah it's been bred for small 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 right. and that big eight ten six that'll tie like a hex or a drake right that's 
that's the money. And like one of the birds that I've been working on is great big badgers just to tie drakes. Oh. And it's worked out really well. Like I can get a, I think I've got some eights this year off of some of the badgers. Uh, still not quite big enough for some of the fertile streams, but. Yeah, yeah, you need <laughs> something a little bit bigger for there. Yeah, that. They're just small birds that hatch. Yeah, the drakes there. Well, the drakes in our area are very, very large. Lance Wilt told me, he's like. He was talking about Yellow Creek. He said, you know, that's a pretty good stream. He said, that is the, honestly the only place I've ever been that had drakes bigger than Penn's. He said, they dwarf Penn's Creek drakes. Yeah. It, it's. And spotty, too. That's one of the weird things. Yeah. Very spotty. Like, three years ago, we hit the drake hatch really, really solid, and it's been crap ever since. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's, and the, the funny thing with the drake hatch, we're going off the hackle a little bit. But the funny thing is with the drakes is you can literally chase them across the state. Yep. That, that's the coolest South thing to about north. Yep, south to north. If you, When it's here, next week you're going to Penns. Then you're going up further and further, and then you're up on the cattle. Yep. You know, you're a month. And some guys do that. I, I'd love to be able to take a summer and just do that, just to see it and experience yeah. it. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't think I'll ever get to. Maybe when I'm like 80, decrepit, retired. It's, yeah. about, it's about a month from... From yellow, let, let's say Yellow Creek to Kettle. It's about a month mm-hmm. month journey. Yeah, there you go. Get a van. Yeah, I got Live one. Live down by the river. Yes, you, yes, you, you do. No, I was, I was like, I wanted to, but the roads. I was like, I better take the truck. Yeah, I wanted to. It, it was actually, I got it stuck two weeks ago, and it's been in my like the guy that raises for me. It's been stuck in his yard for like it's two weeks. No, I got it out now. Once it froze, I was able to get it out, but it was just so muddy. It just, it's a big bitch in the mud. No, it's rear wheel drive. It it just. That was a cool looking van. I saw the picture. I was impressed. It's kind of ugly on the outside, which I'd like to. I want to get it painted like a brown trout. That's my ultimate. Get it wrapped, but that would be expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you would. Spray bomb it. We could spray bomb it. Just could make a stencil. But anyhow. uh, it's like driving the living room around. Yeah. The outside's ugly, but the insides it's really nice. It's comfortable. You can sit down and ride like a thousand miles, no big deal. Just don't name it something like the Velvet Stallion. <laughs> Velvet Stallion? Like, what did we what, what did we talk about one day? I think uh, the something just like I think the cock wagon's what <laughs> I stuck with. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Paint, paint a big rooster on the side of it. Should. Yeah. Yeah. The Evan. Well, the yeah, you said the Evan. Yeah. <laughs> Clever. Yeah. That one's good. What what color, what color rooster would you paint on the side of it though? I don't know. I like Duns, but I'd probably go with the Grizzly just because it's cooler looking. Yeah, yeah, and more. Everybody knows the Grizzly. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, back into tying. So we talked about kind of like, uh, I guess we kind of went over your different sizes to look for, but like for tying wets and streamers, like we talked about dries, like you can go from eight to down to 24 if you wanted to mm. your birds but like if you're looking to just tie wets and streamers i mean you're looking for those like grade three grade threes or salt waters uh honestly the saddles some of the grade ones are, are basically them. just streamer hackle okay. but that's like that that's what the the guys are after for like the musky flies the pike flies the big long stuff right. so right and there's something too we should add while we're talking about hackles is um you know, a lot of guys, especially the commercial tires, they're going to look for your saddles because you're going to get more flies off of the longer feathers. But 
for dry flies, I'm talking. Mm-hmm. But for the all-around beginner, the guy looking to get into fly tying, what he should what he should really look for is the cape, because the oh, yeah. cape has your your midge to your streamer all on <laughs> one hide. So you know if you're getting into this, that's where you want to be looking is is at your cape. Yep. Any beginner that asks me, I recommend the grade three cape. I mean, it's thirty dollars. It's not much, and it'll tie from eighteen to. 10s, 12s, they're not super long, but they're more than enough to work with and to learn off of. You're not investing right, a exactly. big portion. Yeah, That's good. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who ties smaller flies than 18s? Everybody yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Who does that? Tricos. But do you need them? Uh, there's some days you do need them. That's honestly probably Griffith. like one of the funnest hatches Griffith. I think there is to fish is trichos. Trichos, Griffith gnats. You want small Griffith gnats for time like a fourteen. No seams. No seams. Yeah. No, I'm just messing with you. Oh, I know. I know you are. I I know. Or dry fly hooks. Nope. <laughs> nope. Oh, I own dry fly hooks plenty. Yeah, but you tie nymphs on them. Oh, I tie dries <laughs> on them a lot. You would. Bl- you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe how many dries I have. No, nah, I bet you do. You got you got to be versed. Green fur doesn't count right. as a dry fly. <laughs> Wait, this mop. <laughs> uh, float. Uh, float. A mop with fly agar on it. That'll yeah, float. that'll definitely float. That'll definitely float. Yeah. Yeah. That'll float. Um, back to the hackle now. Since we're off track again. Hen is what you're looking for if you want a wet fly hackle. Dry flies, your capes and stuff like that. But if you're looking for a good soft hackle, you're looking for hen. Mm-hmm. Hen necks, hen saddles. Right, and you're looking for one with good webbing in it, which is what you, which is what you get in a hen versus the rooster cape. Mm-hmm. So I think did we cover everything on? Yeah. So um, do you grade those too? Hens. Yeah. yeah. Basically, on feather count and how oh, small okay. they'll tie. So. That's so. The of a rooster. Yep. It's the other end of the spectrum. You want web, and that's one of the things that's getting not harder to get with mine, but some of the other growers, you're seeing hens that are less and less webby. And, and the reason for the web is because that web picks up the water. So without the web, the... Without the web, you're looking at a CDC feather, like the tips that you tie your CDC tails on your nymphs with. The, the, you know, the finger part of your hand, what I was talking about earlier. The web part, when you spin that around the hook, it has a lot of fibers that stick off of it, which grabs water and pulls it in and sinks it under the mm-hmm. water. Nice. Hmm. Gotcha. Did you ever think about raising ducks for CDC? Ducks, no. No, the other ducks are dirty. I love ducks. They're extremely messy and dirty. And mean. Yeah. Stay away. So do you pluck the feathers off of the C- CDC air? Some. I use a lot of yeah. CDC now. That's anus, right? Yes. It's, it's the gland right above it. Yeah. Gland right above their tail. Okay. It's the eggs. Big yolks. Yeah. Tasty. Wow. Wife uses them for Oh, yeah, you can eat them. They're good. Really good. I'm getting so hungry right now, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think we covered everything on the tying and stuff. So is there anything else you want to share with us here today about what you do? or? Hmm. I think we've covered it. Say, Coles Pete's.
Yep. That was the sound effect that we needed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I did that. Yeah. Did that for a couple of years. Yeah. Evan needs help. 24-7. Yeah, we do appreciate you as a farmer and, you know, carrying on the family Thank tradition God. and stuff like that. Like, we come from, you know, a lot of our listeners may be city people and stuff like that and not – truly understand where things come from but we come from a farming rich community Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so we really feel it and you know understand and appreciate what you do thanks all right well evan is there anywhere we can reach out to you if you want to find more information about your hackles uh instagram facebook sidling hill hackle uh i sell all my product online on etsy uh i don't have time to keep up with the website so etsy is pretty good about doing that uh It's just Etsy slash shop slash Sidling Hill Hackle. Okay. So uh, so Facebook and Instagram to find you. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on here today and talking about the hackles. And um, Anything else from you guys before we leave? No, thanks for joining us. Yep, thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me. All right. It means a lot. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming up. And I'm sure we're going to get on the stream with you sometime this summer. So. Hopefully. Okay. Until next time, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bugs and Beard Podcast. This podcast was brought to you in part by HolsingersFlyShop.com and Trotta Goods. We truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our show. If you enjoyed the show, please take a second to smash the like button and subscribe to us. You can find our show on popular podcast apps like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Until next time, keep your tip up and tight lines.